This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Today marks the 72nd anniversary of D-Day. On June the 6th, 1944, 14,000 Canadians stormed the beaches at Normandy, France, as part of a coalition allied force that is believed to have turned the tide of World War II. Canada sustained more than 1,000 casualties that day, including 359 killed. So, do you have any memories of D-Day? Was anybody in your family involved in D-Day? Are we doing enough to remember this momentous event? It was also important for Canada emerging on the world stage because at the end of it, after the Canadians stormed Juneau Beach, we uh, had the biggest beachhead of any of the Allied forces. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Again, especially if you had any family members involved in D-Day or you have any thoughts on the way we remember this momentous event. Uh, Right now, we are going to speak with Captain Stephen Dieter. He's a military historian and public affairs office with the Department of National Defense. Good afternoon, Captain Dieter. Good afternoon, Libby. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. What is the significance of D-Day? Well, in the whole context of the Second World War, you've got to look at uh, what had happened when the British were pushed back uh, in 1940 back to to the island. And for the four years between uh, the return of the British to uh, to the island and what we see in, in June of 44, we realize that if we're going to make an effort in the war, we have to establish a spot on the land where we can work from. We learned that lesson down in Africa where you're running out of supplies running back and forth. So the idea was we get this little beachhead to start with, and then we grow from there. And as we move further inland, we can move towards Paris, we can move towards Berlin. So it's getting that foothold right on the, the continent that makes what happened uh, 72 years ago today so significant. Bearing in mind that the Canadians were already all over the, uh, all over the, the world, and I'm going to share a little segment here with you uh, from a veteran who passed on about uh, five years ago. He had been uh, uh, he was serving in Italy with the, the first, uh, with the first Canadian Army and uh, first canadian corps rather and uh, on the 30th of may uh, just outside frozenone uh, he was wounded in the chest and the right forearm by a mortar bomb attack and was in the hospital and was able to do some light duties and uh, he's very proud to call he was very proud to call himself a d-day dodger because being in italy he didn't get a chance to go to the uh, to the front but having said all of that when he was healthy he was transferred to the queen's own rifles and was part of the liberation of the Netherlands. So what we see with the start of today, and I realize I rambled on for a little bit, <laughs> we we see this start to the end. The beginning of the end is literally how General Montgomery referred to it. Get the beachhead, let's move inland, let's uh, complete the war. 
And uh, how important was it for the emergence of Canada on the world stage? When you look at Canada as a nation as we move towards the 150th anniversary next year, and we look at these milestones like Vimy Ridge, where uh, Canada fought as a core and fought as a nation, and then we see this again with us in Italy, and then as part of this combined landing where two beaches in the, the Normandy Line, Utah and Omaha, were for the Americans to conquer, uh, Gold and Sword, which were the two British beaches right on the other side of us, uh, the fact the Canadians were part of that effort, bearing in mind we were one of the larger armies in existence that was available for this, was an absolutely astounding uh, foothold for Canada to move forward as a military power during the war, but also to establish itself uh, as, as, a, as a nation afterwards. Um, and I'll put a little caveat in here from something that I experienced uh, six years ago when I was in the Netherlands. Uh, I stood at the spot where the Canadian general received the ceasefire from uh, the ceasefire and the surrender of Nazi forces in the Netherlands in 1945. So to have that experience and to be, come back and be a part of it was quite a moving experience for me, uh, just based on the fact that here's this little chunk of Canadiana that most people don't realize exists, but to the, to the Dutch it's so important. It's a fabulous fabulous piece of our history. Well, that that's interesting that you mentioned that, that sometimes a, some an important piece of our own history is more important to uh, others than it is to us, and, and that's probably wrong. I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'd like to ask, is, is the anniversary of D-Day meaningful to you? Uh, did you have family maybe that participated in D-Day or in the Second World War? And do we do enough to remember this and to make uh, younger people and all people aware of our history and the importance of these milestones. The numbers 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm talking to Captain Stephen Dieter, who's a military historian and a public affairs officer with the Department of National Defense. So, Captain Dieter, why don't you answer those questions? Do you think we do enough? And as Canadians, do we take enough notice of, of a special moment like this? I think we do a much better, this is a personal opinion, I think we do a much better job of remembering than we did 20 years ago. Um, as a youngster, and I say youngster in my early 20s, uh, I was involved with the Billy Bishop Museum in Owen Sound, Ontario, where you'd have a few tourists come through and see the place, but now Fast forwarding 25 years later, uh, the museum is much is, is much uh, more renowned. It has uh, a great deal more in terms of visitors and especially students that are looking to learn about their history because they're curious. Uh, the young people we see them on the trips that go to Europe all the time, and I had a wonderful opportunity during that same Netherlands trip to run into a class from. Uh, from Owen Sound, from my old high school, who were visiting the grave of someone from Owen Sound. So I think in terms of the youth, they're learning more. They're curious. Uh, teachers like Dave Alexander at Owen Sound Collegiate, uh, amongst others, that are and Robin, the late Robin Barker James down in Tilsonburg, that, that worked hard to, to educate students on what the men and women actually did. It's not just a place name in a book of, well, here's Normandy. 
It's actually, here's the name of this gentleman who served and didn't come home. Or here's the name of someone who fought all the way through the conflict and died six weeks before the war was over kind of thing. Do we do enough? I think we're doing a better job at it, but I think it comes down to the individual communities. Not all communities were affected the same way. Uh, D-Day is a significant day, much like Vimy Ridge Day. Um, I think that over time, if you've got a connection to that that battle or that historical element, I think you'll celebrate it a bit more, you'll cherish it a bit more. Uh, in, in my own family case, because you asked the question earlier, my grandfather was in England supporting the Armored Corps during uh, during the D-Day conflict, uh, but he was just as much a part of the war effort as the soldiers that were at the front line. So I'd be curious to hear what uh, if anybody else had family members, or if there were, uh, or if there's an opinion on what we could or could not be doing better. Okay, the uh, numbers once again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I know that uh, some of the ceremonies, the commemoration ceremonies, are actually on right now. Uh, So, uh, uh, yes, uh, so we are, I guess, uh, there are people who are interested who are actually participating in those at the moment. But we do want to hear if you had family members who participated in D-Day or in the Second World War, how meaningful this is to you, and whether you think we should do more. Uh, Captain Dieter, you mentioned those trips. And of course, these historic events really, really come alive when you're able to get to the actual place. But of course, not everybody or every school board can afford to do that. That's quite true. Um, Once again, it comes down to the strength and the motivation within a local community to to go down that road of planning the trip, going through the the uh, the paperwork, and uh, making the trip memorable for the students that go. And, and we see this whether it's students, whether it's regimental associations that are looking to revisit battlefields of old. We see it with uh, tour companies in the United Kingdom, in Canada, and in the United States, and in Belgium. Uh, who are available to give people tours. But uh, it's once again, you've got to pique people's interest in order to want to go. Having, having been to Vimy Ridge, I was there for the 90th dedication uh, nine years ago. What a fabulous opportunity to be there as, as the monument is rededicated and then to visit the graves and get a sense of, you know, this person or that person. When I was able to go to Germany in 2014 where we buried... Um, the remains of a Second World War Air Force member who had uh, been part of the bombing raids in Germany in 1942, um, and his body had just been recovered. I mean, it gave me a real sense of being able to go and see, and, and uh, go and see these grave markers, see the ages, see the names, figure that at my age I'm looking at men, boys in some cases, yeah. who, who, are, who, are, who are young enough to be my son, and realizing what they put on the line and they put forth in terms of an effort, uh, it's it's phenomenal to see that. And it also gives you a certain as, a certain reflection on this war went on for six years. When you you know when we were bombing Germany, forty two forty three to try and soften things up. When we were establishing the beachhead, and and you're right when the the seventh and the eighth uh, infantry divisions came on and made the best gains of anybody on the front during that first day at a loss of 300 and 
approximately 359. 59. I was going to say 60, but, uh, but as, as was established afterwards, when they look at the numbers all over that beachhead through the five beaches, we're looking at a loss, uh, or we're looking at uh, uh, casualties in the range of about 9,000 across the five beaches, of which roughly one-third of those would have died. I mean, this was, this was something that didn't just happen easily. I mean, it, 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 took, it took sacrifice, it took, uh, it took blood, and, and to, to be able to make that move into Europe, establish the beachhead, move in, eventually make our way towards Antwerp, because this was part of the problem. We get a beachhead, we've got a place to start. But you need a port in order to bring the goods in for a bigger influence. And so as the uh, Canadians move towards the Skelet Estuary in the Netherlands, um, you see more conflict, more working through some nasty, uh, some nasty battlefields. Uh, it's, you know, it, it just, and then to be able to walk that land 70 years later, I, I've been very fortunate, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing uh, military history for 25 years, and to be able to go and see some of these places, it's something I wish every Canadian could do. You know, earlier um, today, uh, Robbie Lane was talking about having been at Normandy and watching um, a very young boy uh, with his father uh, going to look at the grave of his Great grandfather, mm-hmm. and um, how meaningful something like that can be. And you mentioned, you know, um, burying the remains that were just recovered. I mean, can you imagine for a family not knowing, uh, you know, where the body of a loved one is? How terrible that would be, and the, that that uh, situation can go on for decades. I had heard Robbie this morning when he was talking with Neil and Eva uh, 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 about that tour, and it really touched me when he when he talked about that. And in my case, with the Carey family in 2014, um, they literally didn't know. The, the, the aircraft had had seven men on board. Three had survived and were imprisoned in one of the prisoner of war camps. Two died immediately uh, and were recovered, and they were actually buried in the local monastery before they were moved to the cemetery. And this is in a, an area just north of Bonn in Germany. Mm-hmm. The other two actually went down with the aircraft in a lake. And they had to do DNA testing to confirm whose body had been recovered from the wreck. And that was in, actually in 2008, and it turned out that the first one they tested was an Australian. wasn't his family. They, they uh, through our casualty uh, identification section at the Directorate of History and Heritage, they tracked down a brother of Flight Sergeant John Joseph Carey, who lived in Kingston, Ontario, did a DNA test, and confirmed it was him. Uh, unfortunately, the brother passed away about a month before we did the ceremony. Oh, that's terrible. But for him, after 72 years, he finally had an answer. And he's very fortunate compared to some families that never get an answer because the bodies are never recovered. But you're right. Some families go decades with this sense of loss, this sense of uh, uncertainty. Did my, did my loved one survive? Okay. die from wounds. You just never know. Yeah. Let's take a call. We've got Don in St. Mary's. Hello, Don. How are you? Fine. How are you? Not bad, thank you. I was just uh, thinking here, uh, I actually said to the fellow that answered the phone, uh, I don't prefer to remember war. It's just something I, I, it's a personal thing, and I don't shove that on others, but I am interested in history, uh, like the gentleman on the show is. 
And when he talked about the beaches, uh, there was a piece of history that uh, involves Winston Churchill. Uh, the Americans, as uh, we know, named their beaches after the states of uh, Omaha and Utah. And then there was the uh, British. They used the uh, goldfish and uh, swordfish. But Churchill, when it came to Canada's, he made a change. Now, it's Juno is the change. But I was interested to know or to learn the original name for the Canadian beach was Jellyfish. <laughs> and that could have been so... And Churchill knew that there was going to be a lot of young men lose their lives. And I think you mentioned that the outside it was 359 or something. Yes. Yes. And he just knew that that, that name could have been so offensive. And I think about it now, and it could have been. And so that pleases me to know that so much forethought went into this, because that's why it was called D-Day. They had no idea when it was going to be. But it was months and months and months before the actual assault that the planning went into this, and that one of the world leaders actually took into consideration the feelings of Canadians. So I think that's my contribution. I just, I, I like the history side of it, but I just don't like to remember what these young men did. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Don. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, we only have about uh, 20 seconds left. Captain Dieter, final thought? I think when when Canadians look back at, uh, at D-Day, they'll realize that this was a significant uh, historical milestone, not only in the history of the world, but certainly in the history of Canada. And I hope that all Canadians take time in their own way to remember those who fought, those who died, those who came home with the wounds, and more importantly, those that supported all those that have put on the uniform. Okay. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Libby. Okay. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.